This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, guys, before we get into the show, huge thanks to one of the sponsors of today's episode, which is Podcorn. So I'm always a big advocate for having a little side hustle. I think if you can make some money with your hobby, how awesome is that? Most people have to pay money for their hobby if it's something like golfing or skiing. But if you can actually put some money away and save that for a future business or just to have more financial freedom doing something you love, I think that is amazing. So Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to podcast sponsorship opportunities. And before I got into the podcasting game, I heard ads, but I didn't really know how it worked behind the scenes. I didn't know how as a host you go about securing those those partnerships. So Podcorn is really a platform that makes it super easy and user-friendly. So one of the reasons I love Podcorn is that a podcast of any size, even if you are just starting out, you can sign up for Podcorn and start applying to sponsorships and start making money literally day one of your side hustle. You can choose opportunities right on the platform. You can set your own rate and collaborate with brands that you feel are a fit and you never give up any rights to your podcast. Podcorn is here to support you at every step and ensure you're protected and compensated for the work that you do for brands. If you have any experience creating content, you might be familiar with that feeling when you are contacted by a brand and you're offered something that doesn't necessarily feel adequate for the work you've put in. So having Podcorn allow you to actually set your own rate, I think it's really empowering. It gives podcasters complete transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when we monetize. You can click the link in my show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities right away. I recently got a question that was asking, what tips do you have for even starting a podcast? Where can I begin? And one of my biggest tips truly would be to sign up for Podcorn the day you get your podcast off the ground because there's no reason you shouldn't be making a little bit of money for all of the hard work you put in. And now without further ado, let's get into the show. You're listening to The Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren, the podcast by estheticians for estheticians and those who seek to learn about their own skin from a professional's perspective. We're diving into our whys as licensed skincare therapists, sharing in our career journeys, and separating the gimmicks from the real heroes in skincare. Welcome to the treatment room. Hi everyone, welcome back to the treatment room with Tess and Lauren. Today we are back answering some of your most asked questions and we've been thinking about branding this as a little series. We were thinking about roomy chats, (laughs) (laughs) just answering some of the questions we get from 
your DMs. We think they're really good questions and questions that I'm sure a lot of you have on your mind. So let's go ahead and get into it. The first question we got, and I think a lot of you are probably wondering about this as we get back to school, but the question was, do you have any tips for taking efficient, optimal notes in class? Yes. I think my first and biggest tip is just not to take notes on every single thing that your instructor says. Don't highlight every single you know, line in the textbook, because if you're like me, you think that literally every single portion of what you're learning is important, which it is, but it's just mm-hmm. not the most effective way to take notes. So Tess and I were talking about this just right before we started recording, and it's like, um, you had some really good tips, Tess, about like yeah. reading the first and last sentence of a paragraph. Like, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think that's a good one. My mom was an English teacher, so I think I've learned, sort of picked up on some of these from her. I think what Lauren said about you do want to sort of skim the chapter. You want to be thorough reading it, but you don't want to get bogged down memorizing blocks of paragraphs because that's just not going to resonate in your brain. So some of the tricks my mom has taught me are one, like Lauren said, read the first and last sentence of a paragraph. So before, when you're looking at a a whole paragraph, you can do that first and then go back and read the whole thing. I think it sort of helps the main points to stay in your mind. Another thing, of course, you want to pay attention to is the bolded words and vocabulary in the chapter. Those are really easy for teachers to pull from when they're making their tests and they're bolded in the chapters. That sort of sends a signal to the teacher, this is important, they should know this. So of course, Those are something to pay attention to. A lot of times you can also find at the end of the chapter questions that are sort of review questions or little quizzes, things like that, that I think are really helpful to read again before you go through the whole chapter. And then think about what is what makes learning and note-taking fun for you. It might just be an old-fashioned notebook and pen. I know a lot of people in my class liked taking notes on their laptop. There are tools like Evernote or Notes if you have a Mac, little things like that. Maybe it's just having some fun colored pens or highlighters, making your notes aesthetic, that can be fun. And just, I think also color coding can also really help your mind to associate certain words with certain meanings. Yeah. I think bottom line, you know, another thing you could do actually is, um, I used to do this all the time when I was at UCLA, I would go to my professor's office hours and I would literally ask, what is important? Mm, <laughs> like, yeah. What do I need to know? What will the focus be? And a right. lot of times your instructors, your teachers are going to be way more helpful than, than what you expect. It's mm. not, they're not trying to trick you. They don't want you to fail. You know what I mean? Right. They don't want to hand you a good grade, but at the same time, if you're curious and you're asking basically for guidance on where to study and where to focus your energy, they from my experience, were way more helpful than I had expected. And if you don't ask, hello, this is like our Renee Rouleau quote, if you don't ask, you won't get. Mm. So um, yeah, so just ask your ask your instructor and see if they can guide you in the right direction so that you know that the effort that you're put- putting in is you know, going to pay off because I, I can't even tell you how many times I would study for an exam and not even know 
if what I was studying was going to pay off because I'm like, they could go a completely different direction with this exam or, um, you know, you could be studying something and it's not that you get a bad grade for lack of effort. It's just that you weren't on, you know, in the right direction. Totally. Yeah. And I think teachers definitely pay attention to you putting in that effort. And I think it really does pay off because it's just, it's a matter of repetition and reinforcement. So don't be afraid to ask the teacher what's important. They are on your team. They want you to succeed. It's a better reflection of them when you succeed. So I think that is an awesome tip. Something else I thought of was Quiz, Quizlet, that was a really helpful tool when I was in school. And I remember, oh, it's it's an online sort of quiz generator. I was in school more recently than Lauren. So yeah, that was something that we used a lot. It helped us study for state board or just our regular quizzes we would have in class. So Quizlet, I will put it in the show notes so you guys can find that. That's cool. I love yeah. that Yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay. So our next question um, that we got is kind of a fun one. It's embarrassing experiences. Like what, what embarrassing experiences have we had? (laughs) I'm like, I get embarrassed literally you guys by like a leaf falling on the ground next to me. (laughs) So I feel like I have way more stories than I can even remember. But the one that stuck out to me when I read this question was, um, of course, Brazilian wax related. And it was like this girl that came to me for a Brazilian wax. And um, oh my God, I was just like so inexperienced. And she was probably the worst client for me as an inexperienced waxer because she was like really sensitive to the pain. She was really nervous. She was shy, self-conscious, all this, which, you know, when you're lying spread eagle for a Brazilian wax, you kind of have to you know, be a little confident. um, So we're just like doing the wax and it's like so hot in the room. And I am just like dying because I'm like, I feel like I'm going to mess this up. Every time I would pull a strip, she would like close her legs up. And I was just like sweating and red. (laughs) I think at one point we both looked at each other and we were like, could we stop? But she was going on vacation. So we we couldn't stop. Oh my god! It, just <laughs> happen. it was like a forty-five minute thing, and I was like, "Okay." I think that was probably the moment when I was like, "Waxing just really isn't for me." You know, I'm so glad in my school we actually our teacher did not enforce Brazilian waxing on us, and I'm I think she was uncomfortable with it, and a lot of us, I think, did want to learn it, but we just didn't go there. It was kind of like, if you want to do it, you can practice on your own terms. And I'm yeah. I'm so grateful I was never forced into that situation. Yeah, <laughs> because- well, as I'm thinking about it, I don't think, when I was in school, they taught us bikini, but they never taught us Brazilian. I think it was like a legality oh. thing. Oh. So it was like, afterwards, you kind of have to get your own training if you want to do Brazilians. Mm. But there's no like, legally there's no certification that you need or anything to do a Brazilian. So it was just kind of like, you know, I guess go forth at your own risk. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, 
yeah, we will not be um, moving forward with Brazilian waxes on our part. Do not call me if you need a Brazilian wax. I know. We are just not the go-tos for waxing, but we do have a great episode with Brie from Lash and Wax OC. We can put that in the show notes as well. If you guys want a great resource for waxing, she is incredible. She's so good. I love watching her waxing because she makes it seem really fun and not as she's scary like, to learn. Literally, she's a professional at yes. every level, every, you know, every way that you could say that word, she's a professional. Like she's so good at everything. She's got a gift for it. And we don't. That's okay. <laughs> All righty. Um embarrassing experiences on my part. I think very similar to Lauren, when you are new and (laughs) you're a vulnerable new esthetician, everything seems, you just put so much pressure on yourself. You're nervous. You feel like you're second guessing everything you're doing. And I think, I think if you make your client comfortable and make light of you know, we're all human. If you can make light of something, as long as it's not serious, when it does happen, you know, they'll be more easygoing with it. If you mess up and you, you freak out about it and get really obvious with it, they're going to be a little bit uneasy with you. So Mm -hmm. I think there's a difference between like, you know, the regular human mistakes we make and how you can potentially handle it. So it just sort of, they just sort of brush it off. But yeah, of course I had just little things like (laughs) sitting back in my seat and sort of missing it and having it like (laughs) catching myself, but having the seat roll away and having the person be like, are you okay? Like, are you good? Um, or like dropping a utensil, like totally. they're all relaxed in the mask <laughs> massage. You drop a utensil, you're like, God damn it. Like <laughs> Or just having a product, not a peel or anything, but having a little bit of product sort of like a seep its way into their eye, oh, you know. Oh. Or like they leave the treatment room and you can see like a little bit of like sunscreen or something that hasn't been rubbed in and you're just like staring at it like do I go for, do I do I rub it in for her do I let her leave like this oh my goodness I think we've we've all had those experiences so you are so not alone I feel like yeah. that's the general message we want to get across it happens to even the most experienced estheticians like there's so many so many variables in a treatment yeah. room and that's why you want to be super cautious like learn from your mistakes mm-hmm. cover their eyes thoroughly And I think you just get a little better at like handling tools and you just get a little bit like, I don't know, more, what's the word? Like, well, you get that experience and you kind of understand like the finesse and the the finesse. Yeah. And then you, and then from there you gain your confidence and you know, like, okay, if I drop a utensil, it doesn't mean I'm a bad esthetician. It just is like, you know, it just happens. It just happens. Like, and I think you get better at holding the tools. Like I remember when I was getting trained, my, my boss, who's a spa owner, she's incredible. She dropped, what was it? She dropped an ice globe or something and it shattered. Like these things happen to all yeah. of us. So, well, and I mean, everything's so slippery, like not, yeah. to, you know, not to harp on dropping things, but like <laughs> it's slippery. You, your hands are wet. You've got oils and products and everything. So yeah, don't, don't be hard on yourself. Totally. And don't be happens to everybody yes it happens to everyone and the last thing I'll say on that is just try to make things 
feel good. I think in esthetician school, it's so much, there's so much pressure on learning a massage sequence, memorizing 10 steps of a facial. I wish somebody told me at the end of the day, make it feel good. If you make a mistake, keep going. They probably didn't notice, even if it was, you know, something you dropped, be sanitary, dispose of it, go on your way and get back to it. Just make things feel good. Exactly. Exactly. Perfect. Okay. Our next one. Our next one. Okay. We had had a fun question about embarrassing experiences, but this question's a little more on the serious side. So it's about toxicity in the workplace, at school or online. So Mm. a lot of times we get questions from people about, um, you know, just people that they're working with or they're in school with being catty or, um, or being like extra competitive with them for like no reason. And, and stuff like that. So we kind of wanted to address this because I think that this, we we're in an industry and a community that for the most part, I think is really, really supportive and, you know, mm-hmm. girls supporting girls, but at mm-hmm. the same time, there's always going to be, you know, certain situations that feel toxic or that just don't, you know, don't drive with you. So mm-hmm. we wanted to kind of touch on this a little bit. Do you want to kick this off Tess? Yeah, just, I think the hater conversation, it's something that's sort of, uh, it's part of the gig when you put yourself out there online and when you are creating content. And, you know, I'm somebody who coming from YouTube and then sort of having that audience transfer over to Instagram, it's a very special, like YouTube is so special to me because those people, A, have been on a journey with me and it's very personal. The comments, I'd say 99% of them are so not even just supportive, like overly kind. And you guys are amazing. Even those who are listening to the podcast, it's a community, right? That I've, we have worked to develop and cultivate and it's a dedicated audience. And now moving into TikTok, which is something new I've been experimenting with, I think TikTok is an amazing form of social media. It's probably the one I'm most addicted to. And what I love about it is you are very much more discoverable on TikTok because because of the algorithm as opposed to YouTube and Instagram. It's that's something that, you know, it takes so much time to cultivate. TikTok, you can become a lot more successful because of the wide reach, I think, more easily. But with that comes a lot more random people, a lot more random viewers who stumble upon you. And with that, I've had, you know, people who don't necessarily know me and who are not invested in me just leaving snarky comments. I got one that was just like, you know, calling me out for posting a video where she didn't think my my foundation matched my skin. Mm-hmm. And this is just an example. The reason it bothered me was it wasn't even that type of overt bullying that's like, you're ugly. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. You're stupid. It's just that that subtle toxic thing sadly i feel is very common amongst women and it's like those subtle digs especially at your appearance that firstly nobody has the right to comment on your appearance Mm -hmm. and i think 
what's ironic is it always, those comments always seem to come from people who are not putting themselves out there online. They're not vulnerable themselves. They don't even have a real profile most of the time. Exactly. It's usually they're a private profile and it just bothers me that somebody sort of gets off hiding behind their phone who doesn't have that experience of, of trying to build a community And it's just so easy to be passive aggressive and say a little comment, say you're having a bad day or you're not happy with your life. I think it's usually people who are really hurting a lot. And maybe that's something you can take away from this. Have empathy for those people. They're really not, in my opinion, I don't think they're happy business minded people and people with a lot of life experience experience who understand these things always come back to you. It's karma. This is how you even brand yourself with a little comment like that. And you are not hidden on the internet. You it's it's very easy to look up where somebody works, what else they do on social media and trace it back and you're always traceable. Your employer can always see stuff like this. So I would just, I would really encourage everyone, if you're about to leave a negative comment on somebody's social media, take a second. And I'm not saying I'm perfect either, like, but just take a second to think, am I advancing the conversation here? You don't have to always agree with somebody, but think about if you're advancing the conversation, having debate is healthy, but it's another thing to just dig into somebody's appearance. And the last thing I'll say, I have a problem when when people not only critique you, but try to impose a way that you should be putting yourself out there. It's nobody else's right to say how you should appear or, or how you should present your content online. <laughs> and Lauren, I'm curious to get your opinion on whether you think you should have any pushback with that. Because on the one hand, I see the argument that it's your time. It's your energy. Don't spend it getting in arguments with random people online. But there's also the argument that I really don't want somebody to feel they're entitled to tell me how to look or how to act online, as long as I'm acting reasonable and I'm not being offensive. What do you think? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I'm so like, I, I'm, I feel like I'm torn just like you because it's like, yeah, you don't want to like it's almost like these people want the response, you know, like people that are all like full out trolls. They want the response. They want the engagement. They want to know that they got to you. I think, you know, and so, and so, you know, justifying them with the response is like, I never want to do that because I never want to even just give them my energy or my time at all. But again, at the same time, I don't want you know, them to feel like they can do that. And like, it's, it won't go right. unchecked. Right. You know, so it's just kind of like, I almost feel like maybe in that scenario, you pick, pick your battles. Like if yeah. they, if there's something that really like strikes a chord with you, as opposed to all of the other, you know, hateful or mean comments that you get, I think that you absolutely have the right to respond if you want to. Um, if it were me, I would, because to be honest with you guys, I don't, I haven't gotten any like any mean or hateful comments. I don't have a big following though, so that's probably why. But um, if it were me, I would probably just delete and block just straight off the bat. But if there was something that really struck a chord with me, or if they said something that I knew would affect more people than just myself, mm-hmm. I think I would probably post about it and say something back or whatever the deal was. But it's just you know, 
I don't know. It's so icky. It's like what, you know, what's going on right. in your life that you feel that it's okay to, you know, to, to say something mean, even if, even just to say something about somebody's makeup, it's like, I always try to think of it from the point of view of like, what if somebody said that to my sister or what mm-hmm. if somebody said that to my mom, I would be, I would, and you then, would and then I act accordingly. Like I would never say that to my sister. I would never say that to my mom. You know, if you're saying something from love and something that is constructive and positive, helping somebody, then, you know, absolutely. But if you're just like, ugh, you know, her makeup doesn't match her neck or whatever it is. And it's just like, dude. Yeah. Theory. It's like, why? It's not helping anybody. No. And the second part of it was, (laughs) she ironically said, I'm an esthetician too. And I would never post a video where my foundation doesn't (laughs) match my neck. Oh my God. And it's just like, but you're not posting videos and and it's also like, I would also, I'm an esthetician and I would never comment on somebody's thing telling them that right. they look good. You know what I mean? It's like, right. this can go both ways. Because as a client, why would I want to come to somebody with negative energy or who could be potentially thinking that way about me? So that's all I, I'll say. That was my experience. But yeah, I think Lauren had some great advice there. You have to sort of way what you think is the best. And I think a lot of times for the most part, the don't give them the reaction. It's, it's mm-hmm. a lot of times better to take the high road, but my heart goes out to anybody who's feeling that kind of thing in school or the workplace, but just know yeah. it will pass. And my heart is with you. People are just not going to hundred percent of the time like you. And I think it's hard. It's hard to accept that when you have such great intentions for people and your audience and somebody takes an issue with you, but it's just kind of the reality. Yeah. Well, and one thing I'll say about this too, is out of all of the amazing and like really iconic estheticians that we've had on this podcast, First of all, they are all open and willing to help us as, you know, small podcasters, as fellow Mm -hmm. estheticians, and every single one of them has been so open and honest and giving just very generous with their time and with their information. And you don't see them, you know, you know, hoarding their information or, um, you know, being competitive with other people. It's like, they didn't get to where they are today. This is my point. They didn't Mm -hmm. get to where they are today by being catty and competitive with other estheticians. You know what I mean? No, no, it just does not. It's simply think about it this way. Like it's not good for your business, let alone your, your livelihood and karma. If you don't believe in karma as much as I know Lauren and I do think about your business, it, it all comes back. It's a small, small world. So because you hear a lot, not a lot of times, but sometimes you'll hear about, you know, Oh, so-and-so, Oh yeah. I heard that she's, you know, she's a little has drama or whatever. And whether Mm -hmm. that in the workspace or just in a personal, you know, situation, things get around and you, you don't want to be known as that esthetician that, you know, has drama with her clients or with other estheticians or whatever. You just like, it's just, it's to me, it's all about the vibe. You have to put out good energy if you want to get good energy back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Could not agree more. Yes. Okay. So that was good. So everybody <laughs> stay in your own lane, keep your eyes on the prize. Don't, don't worry. Totally. Yeah. Somebody else's success is not going to take anything Mm -hmm. away from you. And 
I think jealousy, it's, it's normal, but you know, just remember like seeing somebody else who's confident, who has more followers, who's succeeding online. Maybe you have like a dis, uh, a disagreement with certain things they do, but it doesn't give you the right to tear them down or like call each other out for how we do things differently. Because I think that is one of the most beautiful parts of the industry. And we all have our own unique philosophies. Exactly. Perfectly, perfectly said. Perfect. Oh, gosh. Taking a breather. I, I really I don't get – I'm not the type of person to get fired up. Like, I'm pretty even keel, like, calm, yeah. grounded. But, gosh, some of that stuff can really get under your skin. So, yeah. Yeah. All good. I'm good. I'm recovered. This is fine. <laughs> We're fine. We're fine. Okay. The next question we have, and this is, let's maybe, let's do a a lighter question and then we'll get into, into number four. Okay. The question was, how do you ensure product is removed hundred percent in a treatment? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think obviously it depends on what product you're using. I would assume that this question is aimed mostly at actives and things that you want to make sure are off the skin for safety reasons. So like peels and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we generally say about this is, you know, first of all, take your time removing the product. I found when I was first starting out, I felt like I didn't want to spend a lot of time removing product because I thought they would be like, oh my gosh, you know, hurry up or what is she doing? That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Take your time, especially when it comes to actives and products that if left on could cause damage to the skin. Mm -hmm. So take your time, use, you know, cool water if you have the ability. And also um, one thing we were saying is just like check in with your client. So if you're removing a peel, you just check in, just say, how does it feel now? You know, and generally with peels, once you put water on them, they're going to feel, you know, kind of a surge in activity at first. But then once you're removing it, they should start to feel a lot better and just check in and, and use, use gentle words like (laughs) or sensation. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, don't ask, you know, scale of, of one to house fire. How does your skin feel? You could totally use a scale, like, you know, yeah, say okay. one to five. How are you feeling? Five being the worst. You're right, right. But don't, you know, don't say, do you, do you feel like your face is on fire still? <laughs> yeah. And one other thing that you could do is if you have, say, say you had a mask on, like a, a clay mask or something, you had a thick layer, maybe you accidentally mm. put on product. Don't be afraid to use multiple towels. That mm. was something that I always, you know, cause you, you know, when you're doing a facial, you have your timing and you have your supplies and you don't ever want to run out of towels mid facial. So that's one thing. Make sure before you get started with your, with your treatments that you have extra of Mm -hmm. what you need so that if you're in that situation, um, and you have a clay mask and your towel is just completely covered in clay at this point, and you feel like you're just smearing it around, like use multiple towels if you need to, or use, you know, wet gauze pads if you have them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, just take your time with it. I think. Yeah. Something I thought of Lauren, when you were talking was sort of when you're new, you feel like asking questions is almost a giveaway that you're new. And I remember in school, we were told like, it's okay to check in. Do you feel like the cleanser is totally removed from your face? Like just straight up ask them, or do you feel like the, 
the peel is removed, you know, ask them about their sensation. And it was something I was scared when I was finally on my own in a professional setting doing these things. I I was like, oh, does asking sort of put me in that, that category of still being in school? But no, I think, you know, for the most part, clients really appreciate that you're considerate and you're thorough and you're asking them. Yeah, they would rather you ask than for them to leave feeling sticky. Because totally. that that's actually one thing, and it's funny because it's been so long, but that was one thing that I remembered from school specifically mm-hmm. was I didn't feel like, you know, as we were learning at the very beginning, products were not being removed. Yeah. Um, completely. Yeah. I think mostly it was because we used gauze pads and just like a little bowl of water. So there, we just didn't have the supplies, you know, when you're in that big room of, of in school. Yeah. But um but yeah, I remember that. I distinctly remember that feeling of feeling like like the cleanser never fully came off. And then everything mm-hmm. applied on top of that was just like sticky, <laughs> sticky, sticky. Yeah. So I think that, yeah. yeah, checking in with your client and obviously using, for me personally, I found that using towels um, as opposed to gauze pads worked so much better. Today's podcast is sponsored by Forager Project, an organic plant-based family-owned creamery, guys, I want to take a trip here, it sounds like my heaven, where they source nature's finest ingredients, nuts, seeds, ancient grains, fruits, and vegetables. When it comes to food, I am so not a fan of labeling certain categories good or bad, but it's more so about making small tweaks where you can and perhaps even trying something that you might enjoy more. So with dairy, I often saw for my clients, it was creating a lot of frustration and lowering their confidence over time. Dairy can be linked to acne, eczema, rosacea, because it can be so inflammatory for our skin and for our gut. Forager Crafts organic dairy-free yogurts, keepers, milks, and sour cream using their hero ingredient, organic cashews. My personal favorites are their unsweetened cashew milk coffee creamer. I've been loving that with a little iced latte or a little cold brew in the morning. And their unsweetened cashew milk yogurt for these little yogurt bowls I've been making super fast and filling. And I'll add strawberries, chia seeds, agave, maybe some cacao nibs if I'm feeling crazy. But whatever you like, I'll just throw that in a little yogurt bowl or I'll throw it in my smoothie that I make almost every morning with some frozen raspberries, blueberries, spinach, and protein powder. Voting is like taking a train sometimes. Even if it's not going to your exact destination, sometimes it's better to take a train there, make a switch later on, rather than just sitting at the bus stop and not getting anywhere. Forager wants to inspire everyone to get out and vote and participate in our democracy. They have provided voting resources and information to make it super easy and convenient for you at www.foragerproject.com slash vote and on their social media at Forager Project. I will put all of that information in the show notes so you can easily find it. Happy voting and enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, I think that's actually a great question. We're glad you guys asked that. It's important and it's it's so much better to ask than have your client be thinking it and then they ask you and you're just like, oh man, I knew I should have checked in, but I was too nervous or I thought that made me seem 
inexperienced. So yeah, yeah, don't be afraid to ask. You're you're not in a rush. Like you might see other people in the room like moving on to the next thing and you're thinking, oh, I should be done with the removal. Like it's time, but no, it's it's different per person. So important and especially with oil cleansers important to ensure you remove that really thoroughly as well exactly and i think a a nice way to ask while you're mid-facial is just asking how does it feel Mm, i love that you feel like your cleanser is all off (laughs) you know what i mean like ask them how it feels you know and that that's like a nice bridge that sounds really professional but at the same time you can still you know ask your question Totally. And just in general, you can ask questions, you can check in. The most experienced estheticians will still ask, like, how does the steam feel? Like, even if they know the steam is in the right place, they're just checking in. It's almost like a little signal of courtesy. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Perfect. Okay. So let's get into our our next heavy question. Um, Okay. So this next question is um, thoughts on skincare advice from influencers and quote unquote, you know, specialists, enthusiasts that are in the, you know, YouTube, Mm -hmm. Instagram, the social media space. And we've talked about this before, as far as like getting advice from, you know, influencers, but we're not necessarily talking about like lifestyle influencers in this question. We're talking mm-hmm. about yeah. people who claim to be skincare enthusiasts and specialists and really have a focus, a hardcore focus on skincare. Yeah. Lauren and I feel like we we sort of take issue with some skincare influencers, not them as a person, but we wish We wish their messaging was more clear because we feel Mm -hmm. it's very, very vague to put the title of specialist or skincare expert as a non-expert. Really just the word they should be using is enthusiast or skincare lover because they haven't been, they haven't been educated. And I think there's just such a distinction, we've said this before, between what you put on your own face and developing a personal opinion about a product that you're putting on your own skin versus having experience with all skins and understanding the potentials, especially the potential like consequences or dangers or when somebody, you know, should or shouldn't use that product all those real life scenarios, I think are so crucial in skincare because it's not a one size fits all type of thing at all. It's what truly makes skincare effective is that personalization, that customization, that understanding how certain certain conditions like may or may not receive a product well. So that's one part of the education I think is underrated. And the second part I think is really important is as a skincare professional, and this is why I think a lot of estheticians listening, you have so much potential with what you put out online or you know any educational material you offer in your relationships with your clients. It is so valued because you are exposed to a different level of education than the average consumer. You have access to the most professional resources, teachers, classes, books, seminars, uh, 
skincare conventions, like you just have another level of community and knowledge. And I think that's also really underrated when it comes to the title of esthetician. Yeah. And I think, you know, not to discredit some of these people, because from some of the videos I've watched, they do share good information. Yes. However, they just lack the experience of working with different skin types and different skin conditions. And, you know, I've seen so many videos that um, one that comes into my mind particularly is about fungal acne. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, um, a skincare influencer talking about how to treat fungal acne. And now fungal acne is a condition of the skin. It's not just, you know, oh, this is a good cleanser. This is a good moisturizer. Like giving advice to literally treat a skincare condition I just, you know, it's, I don't want to, I would never compare, uh, compare estheticians to medical professionals, but it it kind of goes along those same lines where it's like, if you, you shouldn't also be on YouTube talking about, you know, how to treat your gallstones or, you know, whatever (laughs) medical condition, it kind of goes, you know, hand in hand, because you can end up depending on the person that's watching, if they have an allergy, if they have a, you know, another skin condition, rosacea, plus their, their fungal acne or whatever it may be, you just don't know who you're giving that advice to. And they don't have the experience of working with, you know, a specific person and tailoring, you know, a routine and recommendations to a specific person. So I think it's just, there's just a lot of room for, um, you know, mistake and just like error with the person who's going to end up taking that advice. I absolutely perfectly said. And I think what, what has happened in our society is this undervaluing of education because anybody can put their stuff online and well, and anybody can use a Google search. Totally. And you know, somebody can be very informed from Google, but I think it's another thing to to capitalize on a title that, you know, a lot of people don't even know what esthetician means mm-hmm. necessarily. They know dermatologists, but they don't know esthetician is somebody who's taken the time to study skincare ingredients and work on people's skin. So to use a, a skin expert or specialist title that an esthetician could also use as something consumers understand more. That's where I sort of take issue with it because, because of the amount of notoriety people are able to get by labeling themselves an expert. And then you get into the territory where you are actually, some of these specialists are actually advising people on a a routine to use. And they're addressing millions of people and saying, you should use this routine. That's where I sort of take issue with it. And it's something I see with so many types of influencers. The other day on Instagram, I saw a fitness influencer speaking about binge eating disorder and, you know, making, uh, giving tips on how to control it and whatnot. We see fitness influencers handing out meal kits or workout plans. And it just becomes, it's, it's a little bit unclear to the average consumer, like maybe I should only take fitness advice from somebody who studied diet or studied, you know, fitness. And it's, um, 
It's something I think the education should be more valued. I'd like to see more influencers. If you are a skincare expert, go out and take, you know, six, seven months of aesthetic school. And I think you would have so much more credibility, but there's not the the demand, unfortunately, from consumers because there's sort of a gap in the understanding. Yeah, it's almost like the space becomes saturated and not in the sense that there's, you know, so many influencers, but just in the sense that there's so much information that's available at, you know, the click on your computer. It's it's a YouTube video, it's an article from here, it's it's all of this stuff. There's so much information. But, you know, I did a post on this on my Instagram a while ago that was super popular and it was like basically these people who have, you know, who who are skincare enthusiasts. Uh, but calling themselves experts, they have all these little pieces to the puzzle where that they've Googled, they know this about niacinamide, they know this about this condition, they know this about this, you know, product, but they don't have the big picture. So it's like having all these puzzle pieces, but not knowing what the final picture is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. So how are you supposed to put those pieces together? You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I think, yeah. Oh, it's just kind of a touchy subject because these, I'm sure all these people are great, nice people. And yes. Yeah. But it's just, like you said, there, there's such an undervalue of um, a formal aesthetics training. And I do also think that that's why it's so important that us as estheticians are kind of out there having our voice heard. Mm-hmm. So that people do know there is a difference between a quote unquote specialist or enthusiast and a licensed insured esthetician. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have no malice in saying this. It's just like, you know, our thoughts, that's, that's why we put in the hard hours and went to school so we could give this advice. And so I think it's a similar sentiment with any professionals who see, you know, advice given online when, you know, a lot of times I watch these experts and I find myself like mentally fact-checking things that are just Mm -hmm. being preached and eventually over time this this person becomes the go-to on the internet where it's like what do what does so-and-so think of this like is it legitimate and it's like well are they even qualified to answer that like because it's my understanding the response they're going to give is from personal experience or looking things up online yeah, exactly. And I think there there's an element too of unintentional, let me stress that, unintentional mm-hmm. half truths. So not that they're trying to be deceptive or they're lying or anything of the sort. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is again about the big picture. So if they say, yeah. oh, L-ascorbic acid is the best type of vitamin C, it's the only type of vitamin C you should be using. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, it is considered the gold standard of vitamin right, C. Right, right. But only if your skin can tolerate it. You know what I mean? It's like yes. if there's somebody with rosacea that's watching that video and they go out and buy an L-ascorbic acid product, they're going to have some issues with it. You know, they're going to have, could have some sensitivity, irritation, a flare up. So it's just, it's a half truth in that sense of like, it's just not the full picture. Yeah. And it's so much easier to package information as good or bad. And it's the same thing I see happening with niacinamide or, you know, a lot of these active ingredients. People will say, so-and-so influencer loves niacinamide. I'm going to use that every day on my skin. And gosh, the thing with skincare is there it's, there's so many gray areas and there's so many complexities that that is the reason, you know, 
an education and it was ever required in the first place. So somebody could have an understanding of all these complexities and advise on it. So that's our thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That was our other heavy one. <laughs> I yeah. think that, I think the, our last two questions aren't, aren't as heavy as that. Right. Okay. Um, when the next question we got was, somebody asking, saying they were about to open a spa and they asked, what are your recommendations for lines to carry? What are your thoughts on that, Lauren? Um, Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me with this question is it's extremely personal and it's very much based on what your philosophy is. Yeah. So I was telling Tess before we started recording this, that like, if it was me opening a spa, I would favor products that are um, you know, more, and I, I hate that we don't have a better word for this, but more quote unquote, clean, natural plant-based mm-hmm. products. Whereas I, I have another friend who's an esthetician and she focuses really on clinical, strong mm-hmm. products and services. So like my services would be of course, results-based, but they would have a little, a little, you know, feel good to them as well. Whereas mm-hmm. her services are very much like dermaplane and you're out or, you know, she does your service and then you, and then you leave and, and there's a client for each esthetician. Mm-hmm. So I think it just really depends on your philosophy with skincare and, and what your preferences are. Because if I recommended, you know, a, a more plant-based product to somebody and they used it, they may hate it. They may not like it at all. Or if they prefer products that smell amazing, but I prefer fragrance free, that's, you know, it's just, it's just so personal. Right. So right. Each esthetician. Yeah. So I think, I think it's incredible to, to sort of see what other estheticians, successful estheticians are using. There's great lines like cosmetics or image or science skincare or is clinical. It's so great to get a survey, but at the end of the day, I don't want anyone to rush into creating a business and just doing it because they feel like it's the next step and they're under pressure and they, they have, they're on a strict timeline rather than take that time to think about what your philosophy is. It is because it's so much harder to change that branding message five years down the line. So do not feel rushed, develop your own philosophy on skin. I think before, this is my opinion, before opening a place of business that reflects your core beliefs about skincare. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to label certain lines good or bad. It depends truly. Do you want to use plant-based botanicals like chamomile or lavender? Or are you okay with synthetics that work and smell like lavender and chamomile but are not chamomile, you know? Mm-hmm. So everyone has to develop their own messaging. And I would really highly encourage you to try things out, sample things from different lines. You can, you could even create your own private label brand. Maybe that's something you haven't considered, but sample things from labs, try them on your family and friends, maybe go to other spas that contain certain lines, try them out, but take the time. Don't be rushed and develop your own unique philosophy. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's good to, to gather opinions on what people are using and see kind of what's popular, what's out there. Yeah. But from, it's almost like you have to gather 
like a little basket of, of recommendations. And then from there, once yeah. you have your list, then you start doing your own personal research to see what you, what you vibe with. Totally. Yeah. And don't rush. I think that's the big thing. Do not rush. Do not rush. And I would feel horrible if I told you to go carry image skincare or cosmetics, and then it didn't deliver the results you were looking to give your clients, you know? So, so that's something we've all sort of got to decide on our own. And that's, that's the beauty of it. When it's your business, it's going to reflect your beliefs, not somebody else's. Exactly. Perfect. Okay. So our last question is thoughts on CeraVe products, (laughs) which an exhausting question sometimes. <laughs> um, Tess and I talked about this briefly before we got started, and it, it's so back and forth on on what we think and and what you know we would recommend. It's like for me, bottom line is just like it's fine. It's just fine. You know what I mean? It's like it's a drugstore product. It does have some some good ingredients, but I just is it going to um, change your skin drastically for the better? No. And is it going to ruin your skin? No. <laughs> you know, so for me, I'm just like, it's just fine. Like if you're on a budget or, you know, your cleanser is not your priority, you'd rather spend your money on a, on a really good serum, then, then it's fine. You know, it's just, it's just not something that I feel extremely passionate about, I guess. Yeah. I think it, it comes back to the idea you have to take the time to analyze what works for people and what, you know, what you see developing true results. So for me, for example, I firmly believe if somebody can get on a great calming, non-stripping cleanser, preferably professional grade and moisturizer that, you know, maybe has plant stem cells and some great peptides, great strengthening ingredients, that creates an amazing, strong, balanced foundation for the skin. So I I would personally argue the cleanser and the moisturizer are really important, and that will allow you to incorporate other actives down the line. Now, this is where skincare, like there's so many different opinions. A dermatologist would probably tell you I think half dermatologists are kind of in the camp of professional clinical product and half of them are in the camp of drugstore products. Mm-hmm. Half of them will advise all you need is, is a basic moisturizer. A moisturizer should just hydrate the skin and occlude it on a certain level. Your active ingredients are to do, you know, the the real work. So those are two sort of different schools of thought. So what I might say to somebody, because this will happen to you a lot, I'm sure it's happening to those of you in school already, you're having your friends and family, people, you know, coming out of the woodworks asking, what do you think of this line, that line, so-and-so? So I think if you have a strong understanding of your personal beliefs as an esthetician, your philosophy, you can say, you know what, my personal philosophy is really about plant botanicals, mild plant botanicals that are not overly stimulating, but you know, just the right ingredients and professional grade products that are clinically proven to deliver professional results. CeraVe is, you know, a mass produced synthetic drugstore product and drugstore products like tend to be 
cheaper. And I believe you sacrifice quality there. That is my personal opinion. So I would probably say something to the effect of my personal beliefs don't really like align with what Sarah V does. Like Lauren said, like, could it be mild? Could it be fine for some people depending this is another big thing. Depending on what the client wants, what does the person want? Is it good or bad? I don't know. Is it going to address their fine lines? Is it just going to be basic? You know, so it really depends what they want and need and, you know, what they want to do. Do they want to invest in a professional line? It really is up to that person. So I would probably say something to the effect of it doesn't really align with my core beliefs and it wouldn't be top of mind if I tr- if you came to me and wanted true results, like it wouldn't be the top thing I would recommend for you that I feel confident is going to give you what you want. Right. And I think that's an right. okay answer. Like you don't have to tell yeah. them it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing too, is that a lot of times, um, you know, our friends or our clients, they come to us and they ask about this product or that specific product or this ingredient label. And it's like, we can, we can form an opinion for the most part, but what I've learned honestly a lot mm-hmm. since doing this podcast is that formula is is king that is so much more important than just what the ingredient label says because we talked to renee rouleau about this she said you know you can look at the exact same ingredient label for two separate products with different formulations and they can be basically completely different even Mm -hmm. though their ingredient label looks the exact same so i think that it's also okay to say like if you don't know anything about a product line or a certain product you can say i honestly don't know it this looks good like but based on reading the ingredient label this looks good and this looks good however the formulation is definitely key i haven't tried it myself so i can't fully say mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah have yeah a yes, no answer to everything and one more thing i wanted to say just on this before we um wrap up is that a lot of it also depends on what you're comparing it to. So I see a lot of these, you know, TikToks and and videos that are like this this CeraVe is the holy grail of moisturizers. Hmm. And it's like, okay, well, what are we comparing it to? Because if you're going to compare CeraVe to Clean and Clear, hell yeah, I would choose CeraVe. That would be mm-hmm. much better choice than than a Clean and Clear product. But if you're going to compare CeraVe to say SkinCeuticals or cosmetics or, you know, a professional grade product, then it's absolutely not the holy grail. So I think that also comes into play is like, what are you comparing it to? And what, you know, what's our playing field here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. It's like, sorry, Tess, I was just going to say that like, you know, TikTok and, and YouTube and all of these, you know, social media platforms are making drugstore drug skincare yeah. very trendy and popular. So yeah. I, I find we're getting way more questions about them, which is honestly kind of why I've been on a drugstore kick lately is I want to try these products that people are talking about. I want to see like, what's the hype? Well, I also, I recognize on TikTok and whatnot, the audience is a, a lot, skews a lot younger and I see on TikTok more so almost a pressure for cheaper prices. And it's not not something like I'm not really willing to bend on my professional opinion there because as a professional, I recommend treatment products. I'm concerned with results and somebody else will recommend it. Like you, a derm, maybe there's a derm who will recommend that. So they're 
the audience, you know, for that type of person, I think it's mm-hmm. okay to stand true to your core beliefs. And if something isn't going to give somebody results, I'm not going to say it, it's okay just to save the money, you know, mm-hmm. because then that person has to go buy something else that's costing them more money. And they're upset at you because you didn't give them the results they came to you for. Yeah. Sometimes what I like to do is when I know somebody's price conscious, I'll give them like two options for each Mm. thing that I want them to buy. You know, I'll, I'll be like, this is the ideal scenario. This is what I want you to get. But if you're, you know, on a budget or price conscious or whatever, either don't get this product at all, or here's a suitable, like a just okay product that can replace it. You know, usually that's not like what I wouldn't do that with like a serum or something that was very you know, important, it would be like a buy this or don't buy it at all <laughs> kind of thing. But yeah, yeah I think it, yeah. it's hard when you're, yeah, when you're working with multiple different price points and you're, um, or like, sorry, budgets. And then you're also working with different age groups and different skin concerns and, and goals. It's, you know, this is, this is what we're talking about when it comes to the big picture and having all the puzzle pieces and needing to put it into the big picture. It's like, it's not just about what's good and what's bad. Yes. And last thing I'll say on that note of like a a higher and a lower price, this is something I see often on social media, the idea of dupes. Oh yeah. And it's just interesting. I saw a dermatologist the other day saying this, you know, low price serum is a dupe for SkinCeuticals serum. Mm -hmm. And all the comments, everyone's so excited. They're hyped up. They found, quote unquote, the same thing for a cheaper price. And I, I had to comment here and say, I feel many people are unaware that formulation is so important. It's important where the products ing- ingredients are sourced from. What are the molecular weights? How is the formula buffered? All these things that, you know, pay and in, play into each other are important. The idea of a dupe, it's, I think it's misleading because it's not necessarily the exact same thing. So, yeah, yeah, I know. I don't, I don't, I don't honestly believe in dupes either. And I honestly, I, maybe this is an unpopular opinion, but I don't think it's very nice to the company that they're duping. You know what I mean? It's like they, the reason that professional grade products are so expensive is because of all of the research that goes into the product, the testing that goes into the product to actually prove that it's being effective on the skin and the quality of ingredients. Because again, you could have a hyaluronic acid in both ingredient labels of two separate products. One is extremely high quality, low molecular level. One is lower quality, um, high molecular size. So it's like you just get a completely different result from what looks like the same ingredient. So there's a lot that goes into these more expensive um, and not to say all expensive brands do this because this is definitely not the case, but for these um, professional lines, they do a lot of testing and research and quality sourcing of their products. So a dupe is just kind of like, oh, you're not actually worth all that money. And I don't think that that's necessarily nice or right. Absolutely. That was the next thing on my mind that as much as I I don't believe the CE Ferulic is for everyone, it is one of the most clinically trialed vitamin C's on the market. So that is why they, you know, it's, it's very expensive, but 
to say it's equivalent to another serum who probably doesn't do any outside testing is just misleading and not fair. So it, I don't know, skincare, it puts a lot of, uh, responsibility on the consumer to sort of understand these things and not always take things as black and white and do your research. So we appreciate you guys listening to us as a resource and hopefully kind of debunking some of the misleading things. Yeah, exactly. That's why we do what we do because we we love, you know, just bringing the truth and and just making sure, hoping that people will listen and and just become more informed and, you know, just better consumers, you know. Preach. Yeah, girl. All right. Well, that's it. That's all we got for you guys. That's all we got. I wanted to say really quickly before we wrap up, if you guys enjoy our episodes, it would mean so much if you left us a little five-star review on iTunes. It really supports us and we read everyone. So they mean so much to us. If you want to follow us on social media, you can. We will put our handles in the show notes below. And that is just another resource for more information. Lauren's on YouTube now. I'm on YouTube. We're on Instagram. We're doing all the things. Yeah. (laughs) All right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you so much. um, And we will talk to you guys in the next one. Bye. Bye.